that with what Jesus actually went on to do because of their response and their expectation, what we can learn from that and how we can apply it to our lives. What Jesus said is this, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now this is really just a summary of what he would preach throughout his entire ministry. This sort of summarizes and gives us a little bit of a of a capsule on the, the main preaching thrusts of Jesus. The kingdom of God has come near, so as a result, repent and believe in that message, in the good news that the kingdom of God has come near. Now, when the people during this time would have heard these words, they would have had an immediate mental, if not emotional, response to what Jesus has said. We read this, and because we're not first century Jews, we may not first understand and, and get what impact this would have had. We read this and say, well, that sounds good. The kingdom of God has come near, so repent, believe. It's pretty simple. But if you lived during that time and you were Jewish, you would have been uh, responding a little differently to what Jesus said. The Jews during that time were very focused on the end times. Eschatology, it's called. The, the study of the end times. They were focused on that. They believed that the world existed in two different eras or ages, the present age and the one to come. The, the present age began with the fall of mankind, the sin of Adam and Eve, when sin corrupts and destroys all that God had created. And now that's what they were experiencing, the effects of all that. And then the age to come was when God would set everything right, just like it was when he created the world. So you have basically time split, and they, they saw the, the sinful age, and then the age to come, the age of deliverance and freedom and, and perfection that would be brought about. So what they saw was that at some point, God would intervene in human history, uh, most likely through what they, they saw as a Messiah. He would use that Messiah to then bring about the changes that were, that were needed and restoration of the world. So the, the era, the age to follow, would, uh, would, would unfold sort of, sort of like this. Um, what would happen uh, is that there would be some final ordeal or, or confusion or, or some kind of, of confrontation that would escalate and then God would intervene. What would happen was that the, the, the prophet Elijah, they thought, would come and be a forerunner for the Messiah. The, the forerunner, this guy that would announce the coming of the Messiah, he was, uh, he was identified in the Old Testament as Elijah. Uh, the New Testament, John identifies himself as, as this uh, prophet uh, known as Elijah, this, this sort of uh, fulfillment of prophecy. His task would be to prepare the way for the Lord. He would call people to repentance. And if you know the ministry of John the Baptist, then you know that's exactly what he did. And so the people had just seen John. John has just been put into prison. And so kind of think along with them a little bit. They're focused on the end times. They see this sinful age. They know God is going to intervene, that the Messiah will come that a person known as Elijah or in the ministry of Elijah would, would precede the Messiah. And John comes quoting the scripture that was prophesied about this forerunner. And you can sense that things are starting to get going just a little bit. They're thinking, wait a minute. We're living in the time when this final age will be ushered in. After this coming of, of this prefigured uh, person known as Elijah, who of course we know is John the Baptist, the coming of the Messiah would happen. And the final age would be ushered in. This Messiah would be a prophet like Moses that they used to have who would lead them out of their slavery, out of their captivity from sin, lead them into this glorious promised land. After the Messiah, the, the, the hostile evil forces would, would mount one last attack 
on God and His Messiah. And they would be destroyed by the Messiah. So if you kind of follow along so far, what the, what, when, when Jesus would say these things, that the kingdom of God is coming, immediately in their minds they would think, well, that's toward the end times, and it looks as if prophecy is being fulfilled, and the fever pitch begins to rise. John the Baptist comes, claiming that he is that forerunner, the one they thought would be Elijah. Well, maybe it's John the Baptist instead. And then Jesus comes, claiming he is the Messiah. This last assault on the hostile, from the hostile powers, again, would be defeated by the Messiah. And then after that, there would be a renewal of Jerusalem. The Holy Land would be restored. It would be purified of all of its sin. Beauty, beauty would come back to the city, made more beautiful and purified than ever before. And then the Messiah would gather all the dispersed Jews, bring them to Jerusalem, and establish this kingdom of glory in the Holy Land. You can see what they thought when Jesus says the kingdom of God has come near. They think, yes, finally, all that we've lost is going to be restored. Israel had favored status. They believed in, in the book of, uh, in, the, in the Old Testament, rather, of course, as God's chosen people. And so they expected that in this age to come, they would have some perks, so to speak. They believed that they would experience political and spiritual and economic favor once again from God. And, and what they thought was that they would be restored to the kind of superpower, world superpower they were back during the time of David and Solomon. The hope was that in this final age, when the Messiah comes, that Israel would be restored to all of its glory and all that it once used to be. That's what they expected. That the Messiah would come, restore everything, and then after that, a renewal of the world would take place, getting it back to the way things were, before sin entered the world. So in a sense, the Garden of Eden would be restored. Paradise would be recaptured. It would be marked by peace among people, peace between people and even animals and nature. And then there would be a general resurrection of those who had died, and then a last judgment, wherein those who had believed in God would, would be forever with Him in eternal bliss, and those, especially the enemies of Israel, would be forever condemned apart from the Lord. The final age would usher all of that in. And so when Jesus comes and he says, the time is fulfilled, basically what he's saying to them is, it's now time for the final age to begin. For all those folks who had been so focused on this final age coming, to see a man proclaim that now is the time, the kingdom of God is near, their ears perked up. They're very interested in what he's going to say. John and Jesus both announced the kingdom has come. They fully expect that immediately the Messiah will begin to defeat all of their enemies and restore the kingdom. That's what they expect to happen. Now, if you've read the New Testament, you've read any of the story of Jesus, you know that's not what happens. I set all that up because they had extreme expectations for what Jesus, if he truly was the Messiah, was going to do in ushering in the kingdom of God, this final age. If you think about their expectations and then compare that to what we expect from Jesus, I believe we'll begin to see some of the parallels. All of that to this point sounds like a boring history lesson. Why in the world would I present all of that information about first century Judaism to people who live in 21st century America. 
Because the expectations they had of Jesus, I think, are very similar to what we have. We expect that if Jesus is invited into our lives, then, well, we're going to experience some material and physical blessings. Maybe you've seen enough preachers on television to sort of get a glimpse that that is the hope offered by many. If you'll simply receive Jesus into your life, then you'll have all of your needs met. You'll never have a bad day, and you'll be smiling all of the time. Do you actually believe that? Now, some of you do. Now, you don't have to raise your hand. And if, you, if you actually believe that, then I will say one of two things. Now, I don't mean to be sarcastic in any way. But one is that, that you, you are, let's say, just a little naive. Secondly, and worse, you're severely misled. Our expectation, though, isn't it true that if we just simply have Jesus in the boat of our lives, we'll, we may face a storm or two, but nothing really is going to happen to us. Reality shows that that's not exactly true. There are real threats in life, are there not? There are things that happen that do truly affect us even when Jesus is rowing the boat of our lives. We have some expectations, though, that when we think of Jesus and we think of, of this peaceful kind of man who comes into our lives and, and just makes the water calm, we have an expectation, I think, that is really focused on the here and now that Jesus will somehow rescue me from all that I'm facing right now, and everything will be okay if he's just in my life, and I just sort of, I, I go to church and I give him some control, and I think, well, that, that's good, and I sort of, like the rabbit's foot, I kind of, I you know, just rub on the Bible a little bit, and maybe it will, it will come in and, and change things just a tad. Maybe you have an expectation that if you're a Christian, you'll never have another worry in your life. The Bible says be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and petition, submit your request to the Lord, and the peace that passes all understanding will guard your hearts. I'll never have another worry. Some of you have worn your palms out, a ring in your hands, even when Jesus is the captain of your soul. There are worries, there are real issues in life that we don't expect, because when Jesus comes in, we think no more problems, smooth sailing. Nothing bad will ever happen. Or maybe you've had Jesus come into your life and you think, well, <laughs> I can see why that would happen to them. They deserve it. But I, I, I know Jesus. so I'm good. You realize that really bad, awful, tragic things happen to people who love Jesus? And sometimes things happen to people who hate Jesus that you say, why in the world would that be the case? The Jews expected that when Jesus came on the scene and announced his lordship, his kingdom, that he would set everything right that had gone wrong for them. That's their expectation. And unfortunately, there are folks here today who are so confused by life because Jesus has not met your expectation. Because you expected him to set every single thing right. No more problems, no more worries, still water from here on out. When Jesus knew what they were thinking, which of course he did, he embarked on his ministry. And here's what he did because of what they thought. 
what he would go on to do was to demonstrate that he, in fact, was from God, not from us, from humans, but he was given authority from God, so he displays his power through working miracles and doing signs and wonders and all of that. The Messiah was believed to have that kind of power. Jesus does not deny ever once that he is the Messiah. He says, yes, I am, and so he confirms it by using God's power. His first act, as we'll see, is to call disciples from an ordinary life to an extraordinary experience with him. We'll look at that next week. From there, what he'll do is he'll move on to demonstrating his power over evil, evil spirits, his power over sickness, his power over death. He'll do signs and wonders and miracles to demonstrate to the people that, yes, in fact, he is the Messiah. But what he'll spend a lot of time doing also is teaching them and clarifying who the Messiah really is. Clarifying what he meant when he said, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe. What the Jews thought was that this final age of victory, political power, and prestige would be ushered in with Jesus. But his view of this final age didn't correspond with what they expected. They expected this national renewal. But that's not what Jesus was planning for his agenda. Instead, he's calling individuals to personal repentance, to acceptance of him. His program for his ministry would not be the taking up of a sword to defeat Caesar, the Roman government, the main oppressors at the time of the Jews. Instead, he would make peace between God and man by his death on the cross. Jesus, at every turn, rejects the notion of a physical kingdom that he'll set up, and he establishes a spiritual kingdom in the hearts of people. For him, the gospel was not, here's all the defeat of your enemies. The gospel for him, of course, was forgiveness and restoration and new life found only in Jesus. The kingdom of God would have some earthly effects, no doubt. But it's largely an unseen spiritual kingdom. And that's what Jesus would go on to clarify. He would also let them know that, that eventually the kingdom will be consummated, that all the things that have been prophesied in the Old Testament will happen, but not yet. Because he would have to go on and display what the, the, the mission of the Messiah truly was, and that was to die for the sins of mankind, truly defeating evil in a spiritual way. So he helped them understand that the kingdom of God was, yes, now, it has come, but it's also not yet. It's to be continued. What can we learn from all of that? What can we pick up from what Jesus said and what they expected and sort of what we expect, and then what he did as a result to clarify all of their expectation? Is this just a bunch of knowledge that you take home with you and say, well, you know, I learned a little bit about first century Judaism this morning at church. What can you learn from all of this, the first thing that we, that we take away from this is the message of the entire Bible, which is the message of the kingdom of God, that Jesus is indeed Lord. Jesus is Lord. I left three blanks on your bulletin, so you'd have to write down all three of those words. Jesus, and he alone, is, not was, he is Lord, in charge, always has been, is now, and always will be the supreme Lord. 
We learn that from when he announces the kingdom. No one else but the Lord of the kingdom could announce the coming of the kingdom and take hold of it as he did. Jesus is Lord. And the implication of that, the implication of that as the people of God, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, receiving his gracious offer of salvation, if you are in the kingdom of God, the implication is to live as if the kingdom of God has come because it has and it will. Live as if the kingdom of God has come because it has and it will. Jesus said here, the kingdom of God has come near, and he says, repent and believe the good news. There must be an entrance into this kingdom. No one is born into the kingdom of God. You may have had wonderful, godly, God-honoring, church-going parents. But you cannot be born into the kingdom of God, physically born into it. Jesus calls them to new birth. For entrance into the kingdom, new birth is required. The question to Jesus when he would go on to say this was, How can I enter my mother's womb again? A very legitimate question. If I am to be born again, totally over, how can I do that? I'm a grown person. How can I have that happen? Jesus, though, of course, is not talking about a physical birth, but a spiritual birth. New birth is required. For those who are here this morning, and you see that sign, and you say, I don't believe that. I just came to church to make my parents happy. I just came to church because this person asked me to go and I just wanted to shut them up because they've been on me for several months and I figured if I go once, fine, they'll leave me alone. I just come to church because I figure, well, that's what I've been doing for a while on Sundays and you know what, I kind of like those people and they're nice and I'll go to church. Maybe that's you and you say, I don't really believe that Jesus is Lord. To enter the kingdom of God does not require you to move to a new location but it requires new birth on the inside of you. It can't be just a mental exercise that, yeah, well, okay, I get that. I see what you're saying. It must come through repentance, Jesus says, and belief. Repentance and faith all together, turning from and turning to, turning from sin, repenting, calling it what it is. Yes, it is sin. My unbelief in Jesus Christ is, in fact, sin. And I will receive through faith the gift of salvation. The kingdom must be entered, and it only happens through new birth, not through recognizing facts, not through even agreeing with the facts, but through being born again completely, born spiritually into the kingdom. There are some here today who maybe have been playing the game as if Jesus is Lord, but truly need to be born anew this morning, spiritually born. As I mentioned, there are others who who believe that it's true. You've been born again. You have new life from Jesus. But you're not experiencing what life in the kingdom of God is really meant to be. For you, there's a new reality that you can experience leaving here this morning. The kingdom, Jesus says, has come near. It's already here. It's now and it's not yet. We are called to live as if it has already come, which means that we live under the lordship, the control of Jesus Christ, since he is the king. So we are to live, leaving here, as if we are already his subjects. We are already members of his kingdom, already 
aligned and, and having allegiance only to Him in every area of life. Your Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, at least this week, has been under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You showed up to church. Does that mean that if next week you don't show up to church, that, that all is lost and well, you better get right with God again? That's not what I'm saying. But this morning you said, Lord, I'm going to give you that 10 o'clock hour. It came under His Lordship. But you realize that there are several other hours in the week that Jesus demands lordship over all of those as well. I think one of the confusing and things that, that, that adds complexity to our relationship with God is the fact that, that, that we don't view it as a whole life experience. And as a result, we wonder why we're so far from God on Thursday when I felt so close to Him on Sunday morning. But at work, in your money, in your marriage, in your parenting, in any opposition you face, Jesus must be Lord of all of that. In the hurt that you experience, the needs, the desires that you have, the new stage of life that you're in that you don't understand, in your mind, in your emotions, in your will, even the things from your past, Jesus must be Lord of all of those. He must control he must be in charge. You'll face a decision, I would guess, probably as early as tomorrow morning, if not before, on who will be or what will be the functional Lord of your life this week. There are many who are still working every day, and if that's you, you will. When you get up in the morning and you begin your work day and you enter that office or that factory or wherever it is that you go to work, you will make a choice on who or what will be the functional Lord of your life this week. And in church this morning, it's real easy to say, Jesus is Lord. He's Lord of my life. And then when you have to make a decision on whether I'm going to trust God with this or whether I'm going to take it on myself and do things just the way they've got to be done in order to get things done, that's when the rubber meets the road. There'll be a choice this week on who will be or what will be the functional Lord of your life. Jesus claims ownership and lordship over everything in our lives. We live as if the kingdom has come. We experience this new reality. Living under the lordship of Christ, guided by the ethics of His kingdom. I challenge you this week. If you've not read the Bible much recently, pick up the book of Matthew. Chapters 5 through 7, you'll learn about the ethics, what Jesus expects of his subjects in his kingdom. You'll learn about humility and purity and mercy and avoiding hatred and lust, not just the external results of those things. You'll learn about saying what is, well, only what is true. You'll learn about going the extra mile and loving and praying for your enemies and seeking to please only God. You'll learn about being obedient with your money and how to do that. You'll learn about laying down worry and anxiety and trusting instead, trusting in the Lord You'll learn about doing to others what you would want others to do to you. You'll learn about building your life on the truth of Jesus Christ. Those are the ethics of His kingdom. Those are the daily things that we must do. Not just good advice, but instructions and expectations for all who live in the kingdom. Those aren't the things you do, by the way, to get into the kingdom. That only happens through new birth. But as a result of being born again, there's a new experience that's, that's real, realized and experienced. And then we also 
praise God that new birth and new reality and so on, but we also have a new future that's expected. For those who believe and who have experienced new birth, uh, maybe you want to grow in your maturity as a Christian, but you've lost hope. You see that sign on the road. It's covered by trees. It's off in the distance, and it's easy to miss. And you still think it's true, and you still believe it's true, but you've lost hope because of what you see. I want you to remember this, that the kingdom, yes, has come, and it's also to be continued. Because one day, and we don't know when, one day Jesus will return to consummate and finalize the kingdom. And he will set all things right at that point. All the prophecies that are, that are still left unfulfilled will be fulfilled in Jesus Christ when he comes in his glory. So keep trusting him. Keep living as a citizen of the kingdom of God. Jesus says here, repent and believe the good news. There's a sense of urgency in his voice, his command to repent, to believe. The Bible tells us that his second coming, his return could happen at any time. No one, the Bible says, knows the hour. He'll come like a thief in the night when you least expect it, he says. So now... This morning, the 10 o'clock hour at Elm Grove Baptist Church, now is the time for new birth. Not one day when you're older, and I'll deal with that stuff then. Not when you get past this stage of life and things settle down, and you kind of figure it out. Now is the time for new birth. Now is the time to experience that new reality of what life in God's kingdom is to be even for you today. And now is the time to receive the hope of that new future. That sign on Dixie Highway declares and has declared for a while that Jesus is Lord. And despite seeming to have very little impact on the folks in southwest Louisville, despite seeming to be invisible sometimes and ignored even by all who drive by it, the sign still declares the truth that Jesus is Lord and by implication we must live as if he is in every area of our lives. So this morning and this week, I, I, I want to, to encourage you and challenge you and call you to, to pray for God to reveal what is it, Lord, that's not under your control. For some, it's very obvious. You know a particular area of your life or thought pattern or habit or, or whatever it may be is not under the Lord's control. For others, it may take the Holy Spirit to dig a little bit and to reveal some things, even small things that you say, well, I didn't think that was a big deal. And the Holy Spirit says, well, you may not think it's a big deal, but here's an area of your life that's not under my control. So pray this week. Pray this morning. God, please reveal anything at all in my life that's not under your control, your lordship. And then consider reading the foundation of the ethics of Jesus' kingdom in Matthew 5-7. through 7. Begin to live out what God has called you to and submit to His authority so you can experience the benefits of His kingdom even now, even on this side of heaven. Why don't you pray with me? If you're that person and you recognize that new birth is what you need this morning, the only one who can bring you life is Jesus Christ. I'm glad you're here. <laughs> but 
Being here cannot bring you new life. Only Jesus Christ received through faith, trusting Him and Him alone for salvation. And maybe this morning you'd, you'd simply say, uh, yes, I believe. And yes, I repent. Yes, Jesus, make me new. The Bible promises that's what He'll do. He will then usher in a new reality in your life to be experienced. The kingdom both now and then later to come. What is it in your life that needs to be submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Do it in this moment. So that Jesus and Jesus alone will be the functional Lord of your life, not just at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning, but in everything you face, every hour of every week. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that you sent Jesus. That he truly is Lord and that we can live as if the kingdom has come because it has. And we have the hope that the kingdom will come because it will. So Lord, may everything in our lives and every hour and minute of every day be under your control. May we live by the ethics guided by the principles of your kingdom. And live with the hope that this is not our home. That we are just passing through, living between the times when you have come and you will come again. Lord, guide us to be the people that you have called us to be. We pray in Jesus' name.